Okay, let's start with the lecture verse. The unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it. We can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. So, nice to see you all. Thank you for the opportunity to do a talk. Thanks, Reverend Master Oswin and Reverend Master Mayon. And um, today I'm going to be talking about something that I've been chewing on um, for a while. And uh, I was going to try and write um, an article, but then when I was asked to do the talk today, um, it just kind of started coming up as like, well, you should try and talk about that today. Um, my stepsister, Haley, is fond of a saying that goes, labels are for jars, not for people. And um, when she first said that to me um, quite some years ago, um, I don't think I had ever heard that before. And it really struck me as something quite profound, like there's a lot of teaching in that. And, um, and I've been reflecting on it. Uh, it comes and goes, you know, ever since. And um, so I want to talk about that. And um, <clears throat> the reason I think that this has been coming up so strongly for me lately is because um, we're just a day, you know, a year away from the election. So, and I don't want to get into politics, but um, I do want to say that. Um, you know, I've been uh, interested in how many labels we all have been throwing at each other um, lately. And, um, and so that's kind of what got me thinking about it. Um, as Buddhists, um, there is Buddha nature. Buddha nature exists, whether we're Buddhist or not. And whatever you want to call it, you don't have to call it Buddha nature. But something exists, whether we are aware of it or not. Um, maybe we are um, fortunate that we are actively trying to reflect on that and see it for ourselves. Um, we want to create harmony in the Sangha. And the Sangha is not just <clears throat> our Sangha as Buddhists, but it's actually all beings. Um, it's all of us. Um, America, Earth, the universe, everywhere. Um, that is the Sangha with a capital S. There's nothing outside of the Sangha, and we want to try and create harmony in the Sangha. It doesn't mean that we don't have karma and there's still our delusions that we're working with, right? And we're all trying to the best of our ability to try and make the world a better place for all of us. And we just have differing opinions about how to do that. And so um, that's fine. Um, we just have to do that without the labels. That's my opinion. 
Um, because when we start labeling things, we are um, positing a view and cutting this Buddha nature into pieces. And we don't want to cut Buddha nature into pieces. We want Buddha nature to be as it is, um, whole. Um, Reverend Master Jiu, this was a huge lesson um, that she learned when she was in Japan. So um, just shortly a few months, uh, according to the Wild White Goose, which is my limited understanding is, you know, if you read the introduction, she kind of says that things are not necessarily in chronological order. You know, she does move things around and, you know, people's names are changed. But basically, after she has her her Kencho, um, shortly after that, one of the, um, this is one of the lessons that she learns, but she knows it from her own experience now rather than just intellectually. Um, You know, she's being encouraged to... Um, seek transmission, and the monks, her teachers, are encouraging her to um, that she's ready for the next step. And and but she's also beginning to encounter. She's been encountering temple politics, but she's continuing to encounter you know temple politics, Japanese culture, and she's saying some things that she's realizing don't match with her understanding anymore. She's, she's realizing that she's chopping up Buddha nature. She's ch- chopping up reality into these containers and with these labels, and she's realizing, I can't do that anymore. And so she has this insight while she's talking to her teacher. And this is, if you're interested, you should read The Wild White Goose. It's just always incredible. And um, But if you want to look up this specific one, it's in part two, just at the beginning. Um, it's called The Trainee. The parts are different, labeled in different uh, ways. And this is part two, the trainee, on page 98. So she's saying to her teacher, she says, what you are telling me is that I have to regard the Queen of England, the President of the United States, and the Emperor of Japan as symbols of the Buddha nature, just as you and I, and do you realize that we'd have to include Hitler in this as well? His voice tones forgotten. All that matters now is the understanding. And this is her teacher saying, it's not we would have to include Hitler. We do include Hitler. If you cannot see that he too possesses the Buddha nature, however misguided it may have been, you are never going to understand Buddhism completely. You are always going to chop off a part of the Buddha nature and say, that little bit isn't clean, that little bit isn't nice, and you can't do that. And this is Reverend Master Ji reflecting in her diary. Even as he spoke, I understood completely what he meant. There is no part of me that can ever be chopped off. There is no emotion, no feeling, no thought, no word, no deed that does not come out of the Buddha mind. And so that's difficult because um, 
we are faced every day with people we don't agree with. And um, we still have to... Um, we still have to be polite. We still have to um, give them the respect of a fellow human being. And um, we still have to be careful not to start slapping labels on people that challenge us um, because we can't close ourselves off to hearing what may be um, a good point. You know, if we label someone a certain way and put them in a category where that's it, they're in that box, well, they can't have 100% bad ideas. Um, we run the risk of not listening. And um, when we are unwilling to listen, um, then you stagnate. And when you stagnate, you know, the lotus dies. Um, So, labeling has a function, okay? We obviously can't get rid of labels. If we got rid of labels completely, you wouldn't be able to leave this room because where would you be? Where would the chair be from which you were going to get up? Where would the floor be from which you're going to walk across the room and where would the door be, etc., right? I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, the reality is we have to... We, ha we have labels. The human mind... Um, discriminates. It, it does chop reality up into pieces and puts labels on it. Um, and, and as long as we're here in this reality, that's okay. Um, the thing is not to cling to the labels, right? We can't cling to this label as the end-all, be-all, absolute right view. I mean, it may be the right view. It may be the, the best thing to do. It may be what's good to do. But we, you, we can't become righteous in our ideals that this is the only way. Because, again, you're going you're gonna to create disharmony in the Sangha. And um, so we have to find a way, if we think we're right, to be right and inclusive. Right? Um, it's kind of like Reverend Master Jiu, you know, her teaching about not replacing the but with an and in a sentence, rather how it, like, includes rather than kind of separates. Um, because this whole thing is a double-edged sword, okay? We are actually harming ourselves with these labels. Um, and some examples are... Um, if you label someone as an enemy, you, you now have something to fear, right? You now have something to hate. If you label something as beautiful, you now have something to crave. You now have something that you want. Um, if you label something as stupid or unintelligent, you run the risk of um, creating a scenario where you're dismissive or superior, right? All these labels that we would posit on a person or any being, right? You know, labels are for jars, not for people, but people is really beings, right? Human, animal, other. Also ourselves. 
um, the labels that we put on ourselves um, can sometimes be the most harsh. So the whole spectrum, if you find yourself on the inadequacy side, if you find yourself on the pride side, right, same thing. It's still how do we view ourselves. Um, we put ourselves in a box and just like what we do to other people, we're doing to ourselves, we're, you know, if I think I'm a stupid person, you know, why would I even bother to try and learn such and such, you know? Um, if I think I'm a kind person, well, am I so fixed on that idea of myself that I don't listen to actually the little ways that I hurt people or notice the little ways that people twitch um, and you can see like, oh, I just hurt that person's feelings. But if you're so wrapped up in this idea that I'm a nice person, like you can just not even see that, right? Um, the way that I learned or started to learn this, this lesson um, was after I had moved to the Eugene Buddhist Priory in Eugene, Oregon, uh, Reverend Master Oswin was the prior or the chief priest there at the time. And we used to go for walks. Um, this is nice, beautiful, like up from the priory, this nice long loop and really beautiful part of Eugene, kind of tucked back in the hills, big houses, like really nice houses. It was just a really nice, nice walk. And so this car went by one day and there were some kids in the back and so, you know, I was probably 22 at the time or something like that, 22, 23. And so here I am, I see a bunch of kids, and I say, you know, hey, you know. <laughs> and and uh, so the car passes, and then he kind of says, uh, please don't do that. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, out loud, I probably said like, something like, okay. But in my head, I'm thinking, like, don't do what? <laughs> you know, don't do this? Like, who doesn't like this? Who doesn't like the peace sign, Right. And he said, um, you know, in any town, city, wherever, there's going to be a mix of people. And he said that um, this area was slightly conservative. And when you do this, for some people, that's going to bring up the hippie movement, the peace movement. And, um, and I'm thinking, okay, great, you know, like, what's the problem? Um, and... Some people don't find themselves with that label, within that camp, right? And he said, and, and I, you know, I was a layperson. He was in robes, though. And he says, you know, when, when I'm out, you know, him, when he's out, he said, um, people see me as a monk. And the temple has to be open for everybody. The temple exists for everybody, Right, it's not an exclusive place. All are welcome. Republican, Democrat, neutral, and whatever non-political label you want to throw on people. Everyone, you know. Um, and so I said, okay, you know. So I'm thinking about that, and I'm still thinking, like, you know, what's there's nothing wrong with this. Like, this is the right side, you know. This is this is the blue team, right? But the more I thought about it. 
it was really, really a good lesson. And I could, I could just like Reverend Master Jiu, it's like I could just see, like, wow, he's so right. Um, because, because somebody encounters that and then they, you know, they label us, him, the temple, and they might have a legitimate, uh, a real um, experience of, of like, wow, I want to go there and see what this Buddhism is all about and this meditation is all about. But then you have this idea about, well, that, but they're just a bunch of whatever, and that's it, and the door closes, right? So not putting the labels on, on yourself um, and keeping the doors open for everybody. It was, a, it was a really important lesson for me. Um, so there's that kind of the practical, the practical realm, right? And then, um, and then we're going to drop it down a notch. And um, so if that first part was labels are for jars, not for people, the second part would be there is no jar. <laughs> yeah, right, Laurie. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> um, so fundamentally, there is no jar, right? Um, so when we label reality, when we chop up reality, we are trying to box reality, okay? We're trying to put a box on it. Nice, safe, pretty little box. Like, great. That piece of reality, I know. That piece of reality, I understand. Like, I can put that on a shelf, and that feels safe, like, because I know that now. Um, but we are imposing a condition upon the universe, okay? And when we impose a condition upon the universe, we lose sight of the unconditioned, which is a synonym for Buddha nature, right? The unconditioned. Um, And when I sit and reflect upon this, it like the whole thing falls inward upon itself and I'm kind of left with me. Me here and that out there. Like the ultimate fundamental labels, right? Self and other. Um, And this that we put on all the chunks and pieces um, is just kind of, again, falling backward if you just, kind of like a math equation, you know, where you had to, like, simplify the, <clears throat> simplify the ratios or something like that. You get down to, like, the basic ratio, and it's self and other. Like, those are the basic labels. So if you think about the scripture of great wisdom, form, sensation, thought, activity, consciousness, the five skandhas, these things are um, what shapes our experience. The, the five skandhas is kind of a way of saying our psychophysical self. I said that to Reverend Master Ma'am one time. I was getting all heady and like talking about the five skandhas, and she said, it's just a way of saying you. you know? <laughs> it's just a way of saying like your experience. Like Forget about all the whatever. And I was like, okay, sure. Fair enough. That makes, that makes sense. 
Um, so we label the skandhas, right? Our memory, um, you have a memory come up, right? There's a label. Like you have a feeling or an emotion come up, there's a label. And those labels are from the perspective of me and this thing, right? Serene reflection meditation, which is the meditation that we do, is the act of sitting still and letting go of the labels. Okay, we are sitting still and a label comes up, right? That's just karma. Our karma is to label things. We are just habitually labeling things. And here a label is created and then we just let it kind of sit there and then it dissolves, right? And... Um, we are constantly bringing ourselves back to that place where the labels have dissolved, right? Um, Rev. Master Oswin gave a wonderful talk in a series called The Attitude of Gratitude. And in part four, which was on uh, Shobogenzo chapter about scriptures, um, Dogen is encouraging us, Master Dogen is encouraging us to see daily life, every moment, as a living scripture, the scripture of daily life, right? Um, because what is a scripture? A scripture is something that teaches us, right? And daily life is constantly teaching us how to see this activity of the discriminatory mind where it labels things. So I just was thinking about, you know, River Master Oswin's talk popped into my head when I was thinking about this because for me it's like, you know that can that focus can shift, but in this in this setting, the scripture of daily life it's like look and see like how are these labels being formed, and then how are you not letting them dissolve? How are you clinging to them and trying to cement them into reality, which is not possible because a label isn't actually real. There is no jar, there is no label. That's just an idea that we're imposing upon reality. Um, Master Margaret gave a great talk, I think it was a couple weeks ago, where she was um, talking about uh, stress or dukkha. And she was quoting um, Ajahn Chah as saying that dukkha is noble truth. Okay, stress is noble truth. This is reality um, trying to teach us a noble truth about how the base reality works. Okay? there actually is no dukkha, there's no stress. That's our label upon something, okay? That's just, we have a difficult emotion, you could have your hand on the stove, you could, whatever. I mean, difficult things exist, but, and you may need to take your hand off the stove, fair enough, but it's still just a label, right, that we're, that we're putting on things. The emotional stress, the suffering, you know, pain you can't avoid, but suffering you can avoid, right? Because the suffering is the label, right? It's a difficult situation that we are saying, this is suffering. But actually it's not. It's just a difficult situation. Um, I had an interesting conversation with someone recently at Medicine Meal where they were saying, um, I can't remember it exactly, but their point was kind of, they were talking about opposites, you know, the example was like black and white, you know, well, these opposites exist, you know, and he was like, well, what do you say about that? Like, how do you, how do you, what do you do with that? And 
And I said, well, actually, black and white aren't opposites, right? Those are just labels. Like, black is black and white is white. Yeah, you know, that, ex that exists, right, as separate things. But those are just labels that we're putting on it. And it doesn't mean that they're opposites. They're not universal fundamental opposites, right? That's our idea. But what I found myself saying was that cause and effect, that's kind of base layer reality. You know, these opposites maybe don't exist, but cause and effect definitely does exist, okay? If you're on Earth and you throw a rock up in the air, everyone's going to know what that, what's going to happen next. You know, that rock is going to fall back down, cause and effect, okay? But the label of the rock and the label of the Earth, like, are arbitrary, okay? The scripture of great wisdom is trying to describe this world beyond the labels. Um, so, as it says, um, the obstacles dissolve. You know, what is it the, in the mind of the Bosatsu, who is one with wisdom great, the obstacles dissolve, right? Well, you could replace the word obstacles with labels. Because what is an obstacle but just something that we've labeled as an obstacle, right? So then again, you have a difficult situation. Fair enough, that exists. But when you label it as an obstacle or you label it as a difficult situation, you know, um, again, it's us imposing an idea upon it. Um, can you think of a time when you've had a difficult situation and then you realize later, like, what was that all about? Like, that wasn't even that bad, right? <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah. So, now, um, there is a, a book, a, a spiritual biography about um, a woman... And um, she was in the Thai forest tradition, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing the name correctly, but in my head, I pronounce it Mei Chi Kao. Um, and um, she was um, a Mei Chi, which is like a white-robed man. or a, I mean, a Mei Chi is, a, I think, a white-robed woman, but there's male versions of that. But they don't take full monk ordination, but they... Um, you know, they take the five precepts, and she was essentially living a monk life. So it's, it's again, just a label. It's just arbitrary that, you know, it's like, well, she wasn't technically a monk. It doesn't matter. Um, and so this is from her biography on page 196, if you're interested. She gets to a very advanced place in her training and thinks that she's realized enlightenment. You know, she's realized nirvana, and she goes to her teacher to get confirmation. And this is a part of what her teacher says to her. And this is something that I, I reread over and over again. Like, I find it so inspiring and also just this, like, it's just incredible. Um, and I have no idea personally, like, what they're talking about. Like, this is, this is advanced. I have literally on my notes in all caps, ADVANCED. But I find it so inspiring, and I think it points to this idea about labels. Um, so I wanted to share it with you. So her teacher was um, Ajahn Mahabua. And if you know who Ajahn Mun was, Ajahn Mahabua was a 
student of Ajahn Mun, and then this woman was a student of Ajahn Mahavua. So he says, try imagining yourself standing in an empty room. You look around you and see only empty space everywhere. Absolutely nothing occupies that space except you. Standing in the middle of the room, admiring its emptiness, you forget about yourself. You forget that you occupy a central position in that space. How, can that, how then can the room be empty as long as someone remains in the room? It is not truly empty. When you finally realize that the room can never be empty until you depart, that is the moment when the fundamental delusion about your true self disintegrates and the pure, delusion-free mind arises. Once the mind has let go of phenomena of every sort, the mind appears supremely empty. But the one who admires the emptiness, who is awestruck by the emptiness, that one still survives. I know, it's like, oh my God, what? Um, the self as reference point, which is the essence of all false knowing, remains integrated into that mind's knowing essence. This self-perspective is the primary delusion. Its presence represents the difference between the subtle emptiness of the radiant mind and the transcendent emptiness of the pure mind, free of all forms of delusion. Self is the real impediment. As soon as it disintegrates and disappears, no more impediments remain. Transcendent emptiness appears. As in the case of a person in an empty room, we can say that the mind is truly empty only when the self leaves for good. And this next sentence is just gobsmacking. This transcendent emptiness is a total and permanent disengagement that requires no further effort to sustain. Delusion is an intrinsically blind awareness, masquerading as radiance, clarity, and happiness. As such, it is the self's ultimate safe haven, but those treasured qualities are all products of subtle causes and conditions. True emptiness occurs only when every single trace of one's conditioned reality disappears. So, that's heavy. If that kind of freaks you out, that's okay. It means you're a, no you're a normal person. <laughs> um, but he, he and she are just having a conversation at a very, very deep level. And I just really wanted to share that because it's like, where does this thing go? Like, where does it get taken if you keep pulling on the thread, right? The sweater totally disappears. Um, there are more, no more labels, and that includes a lot of stuff we really like, okay? So radiance, clarity, and happiness, that sounds really nice, right? But those are still labels. Um, great Master Dogen, in his Rules for Meditation, uh, he says, when the opposites arise, the Buddha mind is lost. 
right? When the labels arise, the Buddha mind is lost. And as Master Oswin often would point out to me, yeah, but what's not said is when you let go of the labels, the, the Buddha mind returns, right? You know, it's, it's always there. When you drop the opposites, the Buddha mind reappears, but it didn't go anywhere. It's, it's always right there. And uh, Great Master Kazon, too, he says in his Rules for Pure Meditation, pure meditation opens us so that we may directly realize the foundation of our mind and dwell content within our own Buddha nature. Um, that dwelling content within our own Buddha nature, there's harmony in the Sangha, right? Um, the labels have dissolved, right? There's just that contentment of just being at peace with just what is. So there's that. Thank you. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha.